Welcome to the post-show, guys. This was a heavy one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll discuss the the grand details and can debate the uh, whether or not I'm strictly right in this. And, and let me know what you think, Blake. I think Derek lost. I think anyone can agree that Valstrom lost here. Yeah, but maybe not in the way you thought. But what, what do you think, Blake? Blake's the ultimate arbiter here. You know what my condition for success was. Derek lost. Derek lost, yeah. Damn, did I miss out on the truth, truth, TM? No, you uh, huh. could not find it in your heart to forgive your friend. I see. Very interesting. Um, I want to I wanna hear your thoughts, Derek. Uh, it was heavy. I didn't expect it to go where it went. I think for most of the session, my understanding was my win condition is to get Poshank back to town alive. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking that, all right, I should figure out what happened with the opium and with Macaw so that Valstrom has something to do after this, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would I would say altogether that I had a 5-6-1-6 one, one, split amongst those priorities. Fair, yeah. That but was... by the end, I think I was just more into the role-playing side of things. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the point. I wanted you to be thinking that you're trying to save his life because... That was where your character would be at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, of course. And the the Fox encounter was always going to be the point at which I finally announced, like, no, this character, this person's dead. Um, right. Just don't know it yet. So, yeah, from the very beginning, like, there was never... I never had a plan for a way you were going to save Pawshank. If you'd rolled mm -hmm. really well on the leg thing, he might have survived, and that would have been really interesting. But boy, oh boy, did you not. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, oh, yeah, the, when that uh, happened, I thought you'd say, like, it was going to, like, set the venom on fire inside him. That's what and, like, I thought, too. Like, that's the burning agent would about. be, like, in his veins, you know? So it would be, like, those coal seams in Australia that burn for, like, a yeah. hundred years underground. Yeah. That's what I was joking about in the clapped away part, but no, I was just, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't know my my first thought was like all right well he can't just burn up and die right now so what is the blood gonna spray out of his leg and catch on fire on him or something yeah no i just went with uh yeah sure you amputated his leg but <laughs> uh, indeed yeah and it was it was interesting um the the success condition was finding some form of forgiveness or acceptance for Pawshank. Mm, I see. And I don't think he... It, it's an interesting one, too. I don't know if he deserved it. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say he deserved it, but I'm also not sure I'd say he's to blame. Yeah, like, you can understand what drove to his actions the thing that made me almost consider this a success was when you said all right my next article is going to be against fire and brimstone preachers yeah and i was like okay that's an identification by velstrom that this was 
to some degree outside of Pawshank's control and that he was in a way a victim. Oh, he was definitely a victim. Yeah. But I think Valstrom's mentality here would also have been that like Pawshank still did commit the crimes. Oh, absolutely. And and he did yes. commit the crimes. I I don't think he was by any means a hero or a I think he was at best sympathetic. Mhm. Um indeed. And it kind of comes down to the thing where, you know, like like part of what I was thinking about when I was writing this is I don't know if he deserved the forgiveness, but I think the forgiveness was still the right thing to do. Yeah, in in some way, I kept expecting you to set to like have the gun leveled at his head. Can you do this for me? Of course, my friend. Mm. That would have been that would have also been an interesting ending. I mean, but I think it's also, I mean, I, I'm kind of talking for Velstrom here just because I've been, I've been thinking about this exact moment for weeks now. Um, of course. <laughs> um, but like, I think Velstrom was very justified in not finding that forgiveness in that moment. But I think to some degree that moment will also kind of echo back to Velstrom throughout the rest of their life and they'll... You know, and that's where the loss comes in for me. I think I think Velstrom would have walked away with a cleaner conscience if they'd found more forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, the cleanest thing Velstrom could do for himself at that point was to claim forgiveness, even though he couldn't muster it. Mm. I, I don't know. There's something doubly haunting for the character, in my mind at least, of lying to another man on his deathbed. That goes both ways for me. I totally agree with you. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's the perfect lie in that it can never be refuted, and that is a type of cruelty in and of itself. But another would, but it, it's also a kindness to not, it, 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 it's a kindness that he, he is taking uh, on a certain degree of pain to ease Pawshanks. Mm -hmm. Like, Valstrom definitely has, like, some, like, feelings of dissonance in himself when he says that, right? Yeah. Like, like, I'm lying right now. Like, I really wish that Pashink could live and we could talk more about this because I can't forgive what's been done. But, yeah. like, when someone's on the deathbed and you can't go for, like, honest forgiveness and your options are, like, honest but, like, cold rejection... You know, or like forgiveness as a lie. I think Velstrom would opt into the latter. Yeah. And like I said, I I I'm really. I would opt into the latter. Yeah, go on. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm not saying. I I honestly don't know which I would do. I think it really depends on the person in the situation. Mm, yeah. That's true. I I'll be honest. I don't think I could pull the trigger. Mm. I'd really want to, and I think I would regret not pulling the trigger, but in the moment, I don't think that I could. Um. Yeah. I, I honestly mm -hmm. don't know if I could. Yeah. I think it depends heavily on the person and the circumstance. Like, if it's clear, agonizing pain, then that might tip the scale a little bit. Yeah. And that's the thing, like... Yeah. Like, 
I support euthanasia for like patients in like crippling pain with no chance of recovery. Absolutely, and I. But I like support... at the same time, like being the one to do it, you know. And with a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like that. That's no lethal injection. Yeah. Like it. It's not just like let's up the morphine levels. You know, it's like that person. Like like I think the biggest thing that might prevent me from being able to do it is just knowing that I'd have to see the effect of that, you know? Right. Yeah. Because, like, bullets... Like, uh, like bullet wounds that kill quickly do not leave pretty corpses. Bullets mm. are messy in general. Yeah. Ugh. Indeed. Um, I have been hunting and i have yeah, I directly seen the effects blake has received the effects of, of yeah. this is also true minor bullet wounds. the deadlands player's handbook describes the default ammo for the cult peacemaker as lead jacketed hollow point which uh, i think is the yeah, one that like yeah splatters open that, on impact messy yeah what hollow points do is they they flower open on impact and very nasty things i'm not gonna go I, I was gonna go into some more detail and then i realized that this is not the venue for that and if you do want to know more about hollow points and their effects you can go there are find... plenty of demonstrations yeah. with watermelons exactly you can go find sources on the internet that will inform you on that but i'm not gonna bring that here without mm -hmm. a warning um, right i also thought it was interesting because like i think in the weird west wild west that sort of setting people are a bit more brutal, right? And, like, they have an easier time taking that kind of measure. Like, today, I don't think I could amputate a bud's leg to save their life. Mm. And that feels pretty bad, but, like... Yeah. Interestingly, I think prospect. I would have relatively little problem with the amputation, but I would ha I would have huge problems with the with the execution. I, I'm the other I way know. around. I, I almost feel like at the execution would be easier for me than amputation really yeah, yeah i mean i mean fair i i guess like i i have this is getting very philosophical and less role play which i'm fine with but we should spin it back at some point um mm -hmm. like death specifically always has such finality to me um and i guess like yes chopping off someone's leg is also a permanent transformation mm -hmm. but not in the same way. Like, if you chop someone's leg off, they can still live a full, complete life, but you are deciding the entirety of the rest of that person's future by killing them. You know exactly what they will do, and it's nothing. I I think, to bring it back to roleplay somewhat, in this situation, I think the execution is easier because he is, con he is cognizant enough such that you can offer him the choice mm, that's a good point as well because the amputation was also a risk you didn't know if it was necessary or if it would help exactly so like at that point it yeah. might have just been like just the worst option for poshinks that that's actually like, totally fair going and i think the only reason i am more confident with the amputations is that i've like i've done a bunch of like lifeguard trainings and first aid courses and stuff and so i feel confident that I'd be able to identify when the amputation's necessary. Yeah, I was the other way. Like, I can't make that kind of judgment, and, like, Volstrom couldn't make that kind of judgment. But it the was... execution was clearly the only thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. especially because, okay. like Blake says, identifies Poshank makes that choice. Yeah, he right? does. 
No, so, so I, I think you're right. I think in this specific situation, the two challenges are in difficulty order. Do I amputate? Do I kill him? Or how do I kill him? Or whatever. Um, but I think in general, I'd be more comfortable with performing an amputation than a mercy kill. I don't know. I feel I feel a little weird about generalizing things like that when each one, to me, seems incredibly case-by-case. Case. That's a very good point as well. And the ultimate thing here is we can talk about this all we want, and we actually have no idea what we would do under those situations. Yeah. That's Hopefully we don't find out. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Facts. Um... I know. Well, I know a little bit. I've been around someone. I've. I have. I have seen someone lose a piece of themselves. Oh yeah, that's true. I remember you telling that story. <laughs> yeah, I was lifeguarding <laughs> in a camp, and someone tried to catch the motorboat as it came into dock and lost the like final third of their thumb. Yoinks. Yeah. It was honestly pretty funny. Like not at the <laughs> moment, obviously, but like. In retrospect? Yeah, like, the dude has been so good-natured about it since that it is hard to not remember it humorously. Mm. To be fair, this was not one of the campers, this was another adult. So, oh, it was also then, yeah, of course. <laughs> significantly less dramatic. Uh, yeah, yeah, he came he came up to me and was just like, so this is a problem. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that, 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 and then... So I'm, I'm like cleaning that off and trying to get that all fine. And someone walks up to me with the piece and goes, what do I do with this? And I was like, oh no, what? what, what? <laughs> Ice now. <laughs> I was just like, what is happening? <sighs> yeah, I think the only thing that could have possibly gotten you an objective win from the point of you two standing there would have been like literally just talking it out with him for the rest of the 10 minutes to see if there was some point that could be reached point of reconciliation mm -hmm. to fully bring it back around to, to yeah. RPGs. Put my foot of down. course. What did you think in general, Derek? How'd you like it as an experience? It was gritty. I I felt like I was Volstrom, losing options, losing time. Mm. I it was it was tense. Dude, I knew the broad strokes of what was gonna happen and I was still on the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if either of you is familiar with the narrative of or has played Spec Ops the line. I am familiar with the narrative. I have it in my Steam library. I've been meaning to play it. I would okay. also, unrelated, but, uh, or semi-related, dude, the Brokeback Mountain was fairly strongly my inspiration for this, so when you made the Brokeback Mountain joke, I was like, fuck, he's on to me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that might have gotten cut. That might not be in the episode. <laughs> mm, maybe. Anyways, yeah, I, I think it was, like, that kind of experience. I wouldn't say it was enjoyable, the way a conventional tabletop game is enjoyable, but it was an important I, and like mm, weighty experience. I, think I, I know enjoyed what you mean. it, but like that's coming from a person who enjoys psych horror. 
And I think it's Enjoys also what? psych horror. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go on. And I, I think I kind of get what you mean as well, where, like, enjoy, like, fits by the word's definition, but not by its implication, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm all... I'm kind... Yeah, the experience kind of reminds me of how I like to put ha- watching Evangelion. Oh, I yeah. enjoy <laughs> having watched... Or having had watched Evangelion. Yeah. Evangelion's a trip, dude. So much of a trip. Mm. Great opening theme, though. Also, damn, oh, yeah. can't believe you both wear weaves because I've been like keeping myself in the closet this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I think it would best to call call myself a recovering weave since I ruined myself with classic anime and JoJo's. Ah, uh, you're there. Okay. I uh, yeah. I like and enjoy anime but don't consume enough of it to to i think to 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 claim either proudly or derisively the term weeb yeah, yeah i'm i'm I, at I that point too i certainly lost all rights to it now that i watch basically everything dubbed <laughs> i mean some dubs are good my no, hero sure. academia's I mean, I, dub I, is thick no, you you want to talk about good dubs, Black Lagoon. Oh my god. Oh, you're an actual weave. My god. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, recovering. I've of I think course. I've only seen I I think I all I, yeah, the only animes I've seen are Evangelion um fucking But that's like a big like turbo weave anime, dude. That's true, and I did love it to death. That was also the first anime I saw. Uh, mhm. Right. Uh, that's not true. I saw One Punch Man first. Mm-hmm. Great show. Uh, fucking... no, but, but if you want turbo weeb energy, I've seen in its entirety Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> yeah, you're a turbo weeb. You're like a giga turbo weeb. Yeah, it was it was after that <laughs> that I realized I can pretty much no longer watch modern anime until I realize until I hear confirmation that it's well written. Mm-hmm. Anime often just confuses me. It's like, 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 JoJo's especially, I literally cannot understand. Like, I, I just, how do you, like, I, I, it, it, you know, like, you go to, you go to school, and they teach you how writing and stories work, and they're like, (laughs) this is, they're like, this is what a plot is, this is what an arc is, and here is how to write things so things make sense, and you don't sound like a like a sugar hide ADHD six-year-old, and then Jojo comes along. All of the cocaine. Yeah, yeah. and it's here just we're on like... a horse race across America. Yeah. Also, yeah. there I are superpowers. I haven't read the manga yet. I'm just waiting for. Or what about the, the the pigeon in the chick's mouth from the second season of JoJo's? <laughs> and like, like, uh, uh. Speedwagon getting cut in half and dying for ten minutes, and baby naked Polnareff. It's it's a time. <sighs> yeah, it was also after watching JoJo's dialogue that I tried to go back to other anime and saw the whole like over-explaining thing. And I was like, no, you can't do that. It doesn't work. That's JoJo's thing. <laughs> I do feel like a lot of people don't understand that a lot of what's in anime is, like, forms of abstraction. 
I think I don't understand that, but I'm willing to try. Oh, it's, I mean, it's like, you know how, like, when they're, it, it, it's kind of like what, what, uh, Blake was talking about with, like, the, they over-explain everything in JoJo's, and they were like, here's what's going on here, and, like, a single punch takes 30 seconds because they're explaining every aspect behind it. Like, it's, we're not supposed to assume that that's actually taking that long, is my interpretation as much as like we're using the fact that this is removed from reality to pack information into spaces that you normally wouldn't be able to fit it i see i see like maybe abstraction wasn't the right word but it's like it's like you're not supposed to think of it as a direct representation of reality you know Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of time dilation even in like without explanations the way like a punch connects yeah and like the way people for sure and 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 i feel like so i i take a lot of martial arts um uh and there's a lot of like like martial artists are obsessed with like technique and practice and like the idea of your body being a tool and like you have to hone it and and that like you know the, the whole concept of like a single punch practiced a thousand times is better than a thousand punches practiced once and I feel like that mm -hmm. leaks into a lot of the fighting scenes in anime where they're like, in JoJo's especially, they're like, this punch developed by the ancient masters of the yada yada. <laughs> and, you know, it just like goes into this huge explanation of like why this specific punch will shatter this mountain. And I feel like if you don't understand some of the, or if you don't have exposure to real people who think not like that, obviously, but in the way that that is hyperbolizing, that it's, hyperbolizing mm -hmm. something that you don't even know exists and it just doesn't make any sense right like without the context for what's being taken ad absurdum like yes. you don't get it yes exactly and then there's star platinum proving that a thousand punches <laughs> practiced once can in fact be dangerous no that's the opposite he only has one punch and he does it thousands of times <laughs> <laughs> that's fair yikes Well, this we've hit. This is this has been a very topically diverse post show. I love it. That's I agree. Certainly a way of putting it. We should we yeah. should call this one death and anime. Yes. <laughs> death and anime. <laughs> post show four death and anime. Pretty much. Uh, oh yeah, the the title for this episode is a poisoned soul. I like Aww. it. I like it a lot. Wait, can the snake have bit him in the bottom of the foot? <laughs> yeah we, we can we can retroactively say that excellent so if you're listening to this post show notice that uh it is not the fleshy part of the calf but the bottom of the foot that was bitten exactly i'm satisfied like john lawrence yeah <laughs> exactly i i was thinking of his shout at the end of yeah, ten dual end commandments of which is so poignant in so many ways. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking more about that. And you know how we talked last time about like the separate outcomes of the duel and how those juxtapose and how you went into the whole um, sexual feelings thing? Mm -hmm. So I was also thinking, and like it even goes a bit further than we discussed because uh, Hamilton tells Lawrence like, 
do not throw away your shot, right? Oh, and that's like part of Hamilton's entire mentality yeah, of like, keep Philip. going forward. And instead he tells Philip, like, to essentially to throw away his shot, his shot right? Yeah. Which is like against everything that Hamilton previously has done, because like up until that point, he's always like, stick by your guns, haha. Yeah. You know? And that's where Philip dies. And it's also the same pistols in all three duels. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that, but that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we can assume. We know it's the same ones in the second and third duel, because he tells Philip, take my pistols. Yeah, here's then, my gun. And then and then Burr says Hamilton arrived with his guns. Um, right. I also, it, I, I don't know mm -hmm. how, I listened to the soundtrack so many times, it wasn't until the second time I watched the show that I realized how strongly they were implying that the second duel was basically Hamilton's suicide. Third duel. Huh. I, I get, like, on my second watch-through, I got a lot of, like, Burr's foreshadowing that he would kill Hamilton. But I didn't pick that up in particular. Do you want to go into it? Um, so, the, the thing that made me catch it was he goes, I didn't know this at the time, but we were near the same spot your son died. Is that why? Ah. Uh, and then he's oh, talking. Wow. And then he's talking about how prepared Hamilton looks and how much Hamilton looks like he's intent to kill him and then doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so I think right, what, like I, he was wearing spectacles. Yeah, look it up. They won't teach you this in your class, or they won't teach you this in your classes. But look it up. Hamilton was wearing his glasses. Why, if not to take deadly aim? It's him or me. The world will never be the same. Um. And so I, th I think what Burr's setting up is like, ha is basically Hamilton baited me into it. You know, um, not not without accepting responsibility, but like. Right. But like Hamilton made it look like Burr had to shoot. Yes, exactly. Um But there were also other reasons Burr would have felt like he had to shoot. Yeah, I will not let this man make an orphan of my daughter. Yep. Well but that's also And I also like uh huh, go on. That one only matters if he thinks Hamilton's gonna shoot. He only needs to worry about his daughter if he's certain that he might die here. Exactly. Like if they go in there with that understanding that like both of them will shoot Skyward. Mm -hmm. Like also, and they're fine. The uh, the uh, I wasn't wise enough to see the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me is a quote. He said that in a paper po uh, after the like long after the duel, but he he did say that the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. Nutty. Yeah. They also actually signed their letters to each other. Your obedient servant, A. Dot Ham and A. Dot Burr. Yep, I I believe that of them both also the uh the itemized list of 30 years of disagreements was an actual thing perfect i i love the tiny little real pieces of history that are just sprinkled throughout the mm -hmm. george washington named a feral tomcat after him that's true yeah thomas jefferson out here <laughs> no 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 alexander hamilton yeah but I think Jefferson says that, uh, or Lafayette no, says that. It's... No, it's uh, it might be Lafayette. I don't think it is though. It might be Lawrence. 
Hmm. Named his feral tomcat after him is the quote, right? Yes. Named a feral tomcat. It's not an owned feral tomcat, then it wouldn't be feral. I think it was her feral tomcat. Well, it's... Oh, Burr says it. Burr says ah, it. Ah, that makes sense. Yep. Also, um, there is... Uh, Burr plays Eliza's father. As well. Huh. So, like, there, I think there's at least one other example of it, but there, basically, whenever Hamilton is, like, directly... Philip Schuyler. Mm, yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever someone uh, is direct... I di you know what? It took me until this exact moment to realize that they named their son after Eliza's father. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of the times when Hamilton is being, like, directly opposed by a member of the ensemble, that ensemble member is uh leslie odom jr nice and i believe it yeah so like philip schuyler and i like i said i think there's one other example where it's like he's always just the person in between hamilton and, and success mm -hmm. well speaking of between hamilton and success i know burr or leslie odom jr takes the center space on the banister or the balcony when Washington's summons is being passed, like, around mm. and across the stage. Mm. Yeah. Also, you know that, you know when they're doing that pass of the letter? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they all have their own copy of the letter. Like, there's some parts of it where it's very explicitly being passed hand-to-hand, -hand, but the part where they just do, like, the wave and it just, like, transitions person-to-person, -person, I think they're just palming it. Maybe. It is very smooth. It's so smooth. <laughs> yeah. And I've rewatched that bit a few times too. Um, also, just the rotating floor is so amazing. Oh, yeah. The way it comes in, like, during the rewind bit yeah. is nutty. And especially during the stop motion, the stopped part of the duel, where the they're just spinning around each other and the bullets slowly mm -hmm. moving between them. Yeah, and also, like, during Hurricane, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, Hurricane, I think, the... It has the same... Not baseline, but, like... Or maybe it is baseline, but the same, like, background, like, beat... Yeah. ...as Yorktown. And, yes, like, Yorktown yes, yes, is yes. the first time they use that, like, technique of, like, things floating slowly as the disc turns. Uh, like, the world turned upside down. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the world turned, turned upside up, and down, and all the chairs and, and like, stuff go into the air, and exactly, I love that. That is like breath. And Hurricane is like the extension of that for Hamilton. Yeah, I also really like the way that they use pretty set transitions. They use what? Pretty set transitions. Like the set transitions are part of the choreography, where like dancers. Like, like, like we were just talking about and like the world turned upside down. All of the chairs going into the air is so they can get them out of there for the next scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like they make it part of the choreography and like, like when Burr is standing on the table and he jumps and they whip the tablecloth out from under him and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very organic. Yeah. Um, and like as someone that did tech and had to plan set transitions in high school, like incredibly done. Yeah, it's nutty for sure. 
also, I realized that... So, very, like, uh, Lin-Manuel doesn't claim not to do this, but there's so many parts of Hamilton that are, like, ripped out of various hip-hop songs and stuff. And, like, every time I re-listen to it, I find another one where I'm just like, that's definitely the sound effect from, like, Simon Says or something. Interesting. Pretty cool. Here, I I think we can do this because um, fair use... Right, it's less than ten seconds. We're fine. That's a lie. Um, that's it's not more than how ten seconds. That works. No, it's it's just it does it's completely unrelated to time. That's just a myth. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So fair use means if you are discussing the piece in such a way that listening to it is part of the discussion, like hey, we're analyzing this song. Can we listen to that part so we can talk about it? Fair use. However, if we're just like we're playing Star Wars. Here's some Star Wars music. It doesn't matter how much of it we use, you can't. I see, I see. It has to, like, somehow the playing of it has to be necessary for what we're talking about. So, I am going to demonstrate that there is a sound effect from the Reynolds pamphlet that is the same as another song. Gonna write by way out. Have you read the Reynolds pamphlet, dude? <laughs> no, I haven't. It is ridiculous. <laughs> Reynolds pamphlet. Oh my god. Okay, you know I'm looking at the PDF of it and like they write they write their S's like F's. Yes. Also true. Uh I so it turns out that the sound effect is only in the stage version, so I'm not gonna be able to demonstrate it. Um but if you've seen the show, go listen to Simon Says by Pharaoh Monch and uh there is sound effect in it that is literally ripped out of that song and piped in during the intro to Reynolds Reynolds pamphlet for the stage version interesting yeah well thank you all for tuning in to our eclectic ramblings um, yes <laughs> this has thank been, you all and farewell this right? has been the episode for post show yeah thank you all and goodbye <laughs>